The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and verse 6. Again, that's Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and verse 6. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and you can find that on page 166 and page 167 in your pew Bibles. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. Uh, it's an honor to have you, and uh, we hope that we can encourage you as you have encouraged us by you being here this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have each Sunday and Wednesday evening to have time of studying the Bible together. Sometimes we call it Sunday school on Sunday or Bible classes on Sunday or Wednesday night, but the opportunity not only to study God's Word, but to come together with others that have also prepared to study God's Word along with a teacher that has prepared a lesson. I don't know if you've thought lately about the tremendous opportunity and blessing that that is, but today we want to take a little bit of time to put an emphasis on the study of God's Word, especially in our Bible classes as today we emphasize the beauty, the blessing, the opportunity that we have. We hope that after this service, you'll find your way to a Bible class. Maybe you've done that ever since you've been little. But go in this morning with a new appreciation, perhaps just more of awareness. Be thankful for the opportunity God gives you. Maybe you haven't done that much or many times in your life. We'd encourage you this morning to, to start afresh, to start that this morning. Won't you find your way to a Bible class today because it truly is important. Today we'll study a lesson as we think about the nutrition that we gain spiritually from the Word of God that would hopefully inform us of how important it is to study the Scriptures. As you go in this morning into your Bible class, I want you to please be thankful for your teacher. In this congregation, we have so many that give many hours every week to enter into a class to teach for 45 minutes. We're so thankful for each teacher that gives their time, each teacher that invests their heart, not only into a study of God's Word, but into the students of which they teach. We realize that it's a great responsibility. James 3 teaches that teachers ought to not be many. In other words, if one was going to look at it as something insignificant or carelessly use that opportunity, it'd be better for them not to teach at all. Secondly, I'd like for you to be sure and be appreciative of all the students that are sitting around you in Bible class this morning. 
Can you imagine being in a congregation where we said we're going to have Bible classes, but yet no one cared to study the scriptures, and so you went into a Bible class and there were only 10 or 15% of the congregation there, or maybe there was only 30 or 40%? You know, one of the signs sometimes of congregations that are just getting off the ground, they oftentimes will announce on Sunday, this Wednesday we're going to try something. We're going to have a midweek Bible class time. We're going to get together Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we hope that you'll come and, and just enjoy a period of study together. Did you know that a typical rule of thumb is that very few, when a church is first planted, will take advantage of that? You see, they're young spiritually. They, at that point in their lives, do not know how necessary it is to feed upon the Word of God. Sometimes that's very discouraging. Sometimes it's discouraging to go to a young church plan and have 40 people on Sunday morning and come back together with four on Wednesday night. Friends, when you walk into a Bible class this morning or you walk into a Bible class Wednesday evening and you see that you're surrounded by so many people that love to study God's Word, place an emphasis on that as you give your gratitude to God for the blessings that He places in your life. But then third, as you walk into Bible class this week, I hope you'll walk in with a greater appreciation for the simple opportunity to listen to God. Communication is what builds strong relationships, to be able to talk to God, but then to be able to listen to God. As we study God's Word, that is literally us saying to God, here I am, Lord, I'm ready to listen. I want to hear what do you want me to learn today. And to be in a Bible class, to have the opportunity to listen to God, what a blessing it is. I also ask you to be thankful for Andrew. Andrew gives a lot of time every week. He gives his life to help us have a greater opportunity to learn God's Word. What a blessing we had yesterday in a teacher's workshop that pulled people from Alabama and Kentucky and Tennessee together that are interested in teaching God's Word. He gives us so many opportunities in the life of this congregation as teachers to be informed and to be motivated, and we appreciate everything that Andrew does in that area. Be thankful for your elders, elders that are concerned about what is taught in every classroom, elders that are concerned what is taught in a nursery or two-year-old class up to every adult class that we have. Let's be grateful. We just had read for us very capably a scripture where we have Moses talking to the children of Israel. I'd like for you to imagine that you're leading the children of Israel. Some have said by the time that they were being delivered from Pharaoh on their way to the promised land that there might have been as many as 600,000, but yet many say there was probably over a million individuals. You see, this could have been as short as an 11-day journey, but because of their faithlessness, it ends up becoming a 40-year journey. Now, during that time, the wilderness did not have the provisions that would be needed to sustain that kind of population. When's the last time you've eaten? Many of you could look at your watch and say, oh, it's just been an hour ago. Others would say, well, now I've not eaten since last night. But I would say probably everyone in this auditorium has eaten in the last 24 hours. Friends, when's the last time you've been hungry? When's the last time you wanted something to eat and there was nothing to eat? You see, we're studying something this morning that we need to understand and illustrate in a physical sense because God so oftentimes does because when it's illustrated physically, it helps us to understand it spiritually. But the, promise, the problem is we live in such a land of great wealth and great riches. Most of us 
have never experienced true hunger. And so I want to ask you this morning as we consider physical malnutrition that you make sure that that you try to stretch your imagination to try to imagine what it would be like because when we can understand that then we can better understand what it would be also to be a spiritual malnutritioned individual here I'd like for you to notice in the text as we go back to verse 2 he told them in verse 2 I'm going to humble you I'm going to test you and I want to see where your heart is because I want to see if you will keep my commandments or not You see, he links the humility, the testing, and also their heart to whether or not they were willing to obey. In other words, how did the children of Israel view the commandments that God gave? Now notice as we read verse 3, we see that he says, man shall live, and then he also says, man shall not live. Now, what is it that man shall live by? When we read that man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that follows man shall not live by bread alone. Now, it's interesting here that he really takes kind of a twist on this physical application. They were wandering around the, the, the wilderness there, and if they would not have had manna, which was a daily provision of bread from heaven. The psalmist tells us that it literally rained down. Joshua, the fifth chapter, tells us that it did that for 40 years. And the very first day that they ate of the production of the promised land, the next morrow, there was no more manna. For 40 years, God said, I'll give you provisions for today. I'll give you provisions for today until Friday. And he said, I'll give you provisions for two days. You collect enough for the Sabbath also. It's an amazing story how God provided the food that was needed for them. First, He allowed them to be hungry so they could be humbled. It was a test whether or not they would remember that they cannot provide for themselves in this situation. Now, even though that bread was sustaining them physically, they were not going to have enough in that physical bread to live. Wait a minute. I thought that's why he sent the bread. was so that they could live. You see, here he's speaking about two things. I'm going to send the bread so that you'll be sustained physically, but man shall not live by bread alone. There's something far more important, and that is the spiritual nutrition that must come from reading, humbly, Obeying, being tested to see if we will obey every word from the mouth of God. Right now, a situation that no doubt is impossible to happen, but I'd like for you to imagine that it would be possible, and I'd like for you to ask yourself how you would answer this situation. Someone breaks into your home, and everyone that lives under your roof is in the house. They hold a gun to you and they give you this option. You can either do without food or as long as you live, you'll never study again from the Word of God. Which would you choose for you and your family? Choice A would be we will sit in our house and starve physically to death. Have you ever seen that kind of death? Our choice B would be, we'll be able to have all the physical food we need, but 
We'll die spiritually because we're never allowed to study God's Word again. Which would you choose? Friends, that is somewhat the application that Moses is trying to get the children of Israel to see. God spared your life physically, and if you think that's such a great blessing, understand that's really not that big a deal because you can eat that bread and you're still not going to live where it matters the most. Now, this we don't have to stretch our imagination because we see this, and it breaks my heart to say this, but we see it even among Christians. We can have a hurricane, and it can wipe out crops in a third world country, and we can see pictures of starving individuals, and we as a church will say we need to have a special contribution. Churches across America will gather hundreds of millions of dollars and they'll send it to that nation just so they can live physically when that same nation was dying spiritually before and may die after. But after they get some rice or some beans on their plate, we wash our hands too often times and we relieve our mind. Whoo! I thought millions of people over there were going to die without food. I am glad we got them that relief. Now I can go back to my day-to-day concerns. I don't have any more worries about those people. How many of us truly understand the seriousness of spiritual malnutrition? When we consider why study the Scriptures, one of the most pitiful sights on earth is physical malnutrition. When we see scenes like is on the screen right now, we see these come up on television shows sometime that are 15 or 30 minutes long. And I would guess that a pretty good percentage of us here immediately flip the channel. The others of us that watch it begin to say to ourselves, if I knew that that organization truly delivered my donation to those people, I'd give generously. Because it breaks our heart to see old or young starving to death when we have plenty of food in our cupboards and we can drive just a few miles and we can go to grocery stores and we literally have the means to fill up buggy after buggy after buggy of food if we wanted to and if we were willing to sell possessions that we have in order to do so. But there's a malnutrition that's so much more serious than that physical. Malnutrition is a condition that occurs when a person's body is not getting enough nutrients. I'd like for you to think with me today as we go throughout this day. We'll only look at a couple this morning and several this evening. I'd like for us to think about symptoms. If someone is suffering from malnutrition, what are symptoms in their life? And do any of those carry over as a type of analogy spiritually? Because over and over, God does speak about physical nutrition as an example of spiritual nutrition. In other words, to illustrate it. And what we find in the scriptures is that we won't touch the hem of the garments of the passages that do that today, even though we'll spend all day on it. If you would be turning to 1 Peter, the second chapter. 1 Peter, the second chapter. As you're turning there, I'd like for you to think about one of the symptoms of malnutrition is listlessness. The idea of listlessness is having or showing little or no interest in anything, languid, spiritless, indifferent, 
a listless mood, a listless handshake. You know, most of us have probably shaken hands with somebody, and as a, as a kid, we called it the dead fish handshake. You know when somebody just puts a hand out there and, and it's just, it's not even firm. It's just a real flimsy hand. And however much you shake it, that's however much it's shaking. However much you squeeze, that's the only squeezing going on. You know, it's just that. You're kind of like, to be honest with you, what I want to do when I feel a hand like that is go, just throw it down. I don't care to shake hands like that. Now, most of you are probably uncomfortable with a listless handshake. The truth is, if because of malnutrition, you and I were around someone that was listless, it would break our heart. It would be repulsive in that same way. In other words, we would want that listlessness to be thrown away. We would want to say, hey, I can bring you some groceries. Hey, if, if you don't have the means, I can make sure that this is prepared. We can make sure that there's something cooked. We can have something here within 30 minutes. If you are really suffering that much from malnutrition, what can we do for you? Listless people suffering from malnutrition, you could go up to them and say, great news, great news, I found you a job. And if they have already become so weak, you know what their response may be? Okay. Oh, great news, I found an activity we can do this afternoon that's what you used to love to do. I don't think I want to do anything. Oh, you remember that friend you haven't seen in years? They're passing through town today. As they lay on their side, on a mat, able to count their ribs, this listless person says, maybe they'll stop by. I guess that would be good to see them. How many times do we see individuals that it just seems like they're not fired up about the opportunity to serve God? They're not fired up about relationships with God. They're not fired up about relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe not even their family. And we scratch our head and we say, we need a retreat. Scratch our head and say, we need somebody to just go by and visit them. I hope you realize that throughout the day we'll mention things like that and I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying that they're not needed. But I want you to understand this loud and clear from the Scriptures. Nothing takes the place of food. Nothing takes the place of God's Word. And if my idea is that I'm going to help someone grow, but I really, I'm not concerned whether or not they have started studying the Scriptures, I'm fooling myself. Notice how he says it here in 1 Peter, the second chapter. He's talking about some things that need to be uh, removed from our life, some sins. And then in 2, he talks about how that would take place. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now notice here, we have a description of some things that need to be moved out of life. We have a description of some growth. He, he used the word growing that needs to take place. And this growth needs to help us taste the gracious Jesus Christ. Well, what is it that's going to provide all this? It's when individuals have a desire to study the Word of God. Of course, a babe, an infant, is going to start out on the milk of the Word. Now, notice here, though, the teaching is simply to emphasize the desire. And so the desire is emphasized by an infant's desire for milk. Many of us here would have seen an infant that is nursing. When you have a nursing infant, 
We sometimes have what we call a pacifier. That pacifies them when they're not truly hungry. But any of us that have had infants know that the pacifier does not pacify when the infant's hungry. Why? They desire Scripture. They desire milk. They get excited about milk. You could say to that infant, no, instead I want to play Google with you. No, they don't want to play little fun noise games. They want milk. You say, instead I'm going to put you in your swing and we're going to swing. No, they don't want to swing. They want milk. I tell you what, we'll put you in the stroller and we'll go through the park. You love going to the park. They don't want to go to the park at that time. They want milk. The Lord is saying to us, hey, there's some things you need to get out of their life. There's some growing that needs to take place. You need to taste the graciousness of God. And there's only one thing that'll do it. It's not a visit from an elder. It's not encouragement from a friend. It's not getting involved in some ministry. There's only one thing that'll do it. When you desire the Word of God like a baby desires milk, nothing will take its place. And the yearning is so strong that there will not be a relief from the crying until malnutrition sets in with listlessness. And I'm told that babies will actually get to the point that they no longer cry for milk when they're malnutritioned in that way. I wonder how many of us have that kind of desire for the Word of God. I think this room is full of individuals that do. And that's what makes a difference in our life is when we realize that we cannot live without this milk. You know, I had the opportunity and my children have had the opportunity to raise bottled calves. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and others of you are thinking, what kind of calves come in bottles? It's not that calves come in bottles. It's that there's a big half-gallon It looks just like a baby's bottle, except it's a half-gallon bottle and it has a long nipple like the udder of a cow. And you go out there, and the first, usually you get those calves at two to three days old, and the first day you go out there, the calf doesn't know that you've just become the surrogate mom. And so you literally have to cross over that cow with his heads between your legs, and you have to hold that cow to keep him from running backward, and you have to put the milk in, and you have to hold him in place until that milk starts dripping a little bit. And by the end of that first bottle, a healthy calf, you can start loosening your knees and you can start holding it and you can start stepping across because he's figured out, I have a new mom. Now, you know what happens after about day four or five? They meet you at the gate. And they slobber a lot. And as you walk to the barn, they start nursing your pants. And if you have five or six of them, You're soaking wet by the time you get to the barn because they desire that milk so much you can't get the bottles flipped over in holders fast enough and you have all those calves lined up and they can drink the half a gallon in probably about 25 to 30 seconds. It's like that because they desire it so much. God, help us understand what do you want us, what do you want our attitude to be toward your word? And in other words, he would say, don't become listless. Be excited. Desire the Word of God. Friends, this morning, if you don't have that kind of desire, I urge you to get into the Word. What I find is the more that individuals study the Word, the more they desire to study the Word. 
But secondly, look with me if you will as we go over to James the fourth chapter. In James the fourth chapter, we see a second symptom. And this, this will be the only other symptom that we'll look at this morning. And we'll continue tonight. But in James the fourth chapter, I'd like for you to notice in verse 6, 7, and 8 as we think about low resistance. In other words, when someone is suffering from malnutrition, their body's immunity system is weak. It, it seems like just little colds or maybe a little bit of the flu or a little bit of pneumonia. That if someone were very healthy and they came in contact with those germs, they might not even really be uh, have that sickness, their immunity system might be able to fight it off. Or if they did, they probably wouldn't get to such a weakened state. But if someone is suffering from malnutrition, it's life-threatening whenever these things, these simple sicknesses or diseases come into their life. And so when we think about the spiritual health and we think about being able to resist Satan, we think about being able to say no to Satan. And as we study this, I want you to be thinking about this. Take a, take a typical high school student. I'm not saying our typical high stu- school student. I'm saying a typical high school student. And you say, well, they come to church. I don't understand why when they go to school that they cheat. I don't understand why they curse. I don't understand why they don't think anything's wrong with abortion. They come to church. What's wrong with them? The 20-somethings. I don't understand. They seem to be so involved at church, but yet then they're socially engaged in the world. Whatever vices the world have, they just plunge right into those vices. Or you take the, the business person that you say, well, they, they seem like they really love the Lord at church, but yet they go out and they do business with a lack of integrity. They do business just like the world does business. Or or you see an adult here that they love to gossip just like the world gossips, but yet they sit beside me on Sunday. What's wrong when individuals go out and live a life other than the Christian life, but yet they call themselves Christians? Again, we sometimes hear individuals say, well, maybe, maybe they could just use some encouragement for somebody. Maybe they just need to get more involved. Maybe they just need to be put on some kind of spiritual high. If we can give them some kind of camp, some kind of retreat. If, if we can just urge them, hey, uh, we'd like for you to stop doing that. What really is going to give someone the strength? It's this simple. To resist Satan. You ever heard the expression, Mondays are killing us? Just this past week, talked with an individual that said, for a long time I didn't live the way I ought to live because I watched Christians. And I know now that I can't let hypocritical Christians turn me away from God. But you see, there are people that go to school and work and live beside and interact in lives of individuals here. And those that are hypocritical, you better believe you're making a statement. And the statement you're making to those people is, you don't want to go to church with me because everybody hates going to church with hypocrites. That's what they're hearing. You're literally closing the kingdom off to those people because it's hard for people to get over the fact that they don't come to church because of you when you are the biggest stumbling block in their life. Somebody says, we need to change that. How do we change it? How do we keep from Mondays killing us? When we look in the scriptures, he begins with pride and humility again in James the fourth chapter and verse six when he says, but he gives more grace therefore. He says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And here's the answer, seven, therefore submit to God. Submit, 80% of the time, 
50% of the time, 90% of the time? No. Submit all the time. What does it mean submit to God? It means to hear the Word of God, learn the Word of God, know the Word of God, obey the Word of God, and that's submitting to God. If I'm not willing to learn it, I can't obey it. The only way for us to submit to God is to involve the Word of God in that submission. And notice this, resist the devil. So we're going to be able to resist the devil whenever we submit to God. Notice what else the Satan will do. He'll flee from you. Now, here's another way of saying the same thing in verse 7. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Another way of saying it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And another way of saying it. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, the teaching here is very clear. The teaching is that we can resist Satan if we're not malnutrition. If we're malnutritioned, we're not going to have the strength to stand up against Satan. We're not going to have the strength to stand up against our peers. We're not going to have the strength to stand up and say, okay, I'll make less money if I have to be honest. That's fine with me because I'll choose honesty over more money every time. I'm not, I'm not going to participate in that gossip. I'm not going to be involved in that lazy lifestyle. You just name all of the struggles that anybody could have and we say, how are we going to overcome those struggles? How are we going to resist Satan? We have to have enough spiritual strength. We have to have the spiritual food. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at verse 12 through 14. We'll come back tonight and look at 12 a little bit more in depth. So let's concentrate especially on 14 as we think about this low resistance. Verse 12 says... For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now notice this, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Have you ever noticed that you can easily tell when you see someone working whether or not they are skilled in what they do? It may be that you can't even do what they do, but if you, if you have someone standing here that's very skilled in what they do, and right beside them there's someone that's unskilled, it's obvious to you which one is which. Uh, this past week, we went to celebrate with my father his 70th anniversary. 70th anniversary. His 70th birthday, anniversary of life. His 70th birthday. As a matter of fact, he will turn 70 this coming Friday, and he'll get on the plane to El Salvador this coming Saturday. And so we went to Kobe Steakhouse. Now, Kobe Steakhouse, you know what I'm talking about. They grill there, and they have their little utensils, and wow, they moved those things really fast, and, and it was a lot of fun, and, and there was a young chef there, and he did some really cool little tricks and all this. But you know, I've gone to Kobe Steakhouse many years ago, and there was really, really a skilled chef there. Now, this guy, when he moved his hands, his hands never stopped. And when he chopped the shrimp up, his hands never stopped, but yet the tails flew in everybody's glass around the table. Now, this young man, he was a great young man. We had a lot of fun with him, but he hadn't been doing it long enough. He wasn't quite as skilled. When he moved his hands real fast, he'd have to slow his hands down and pop a tail, and he tried six times and only got one glass. Now, which one's skilled? One was much greater in his skill than the other. Who's skilled in the Word of God, according to God, whenever a person cannot say no to peer pressure to participate in sin? You say, oh, that person just needs to learn how to stand up. No, that person needs to learn the Word of God. 
I just want to raise teenagers that they will be able to stand against their peers. I'm going to just keep telling them, stand up against your peers, stand up against your peers. Say it till your tongue falls off. And you know what? They're not going to stand up to their peers until they learn the Word of God. Because according to this verse, we can never become skilled in the Word until we learn the Word, move from the milk to the meat, and we can never discern the last part of the verse, last part of the passage there, we cannot discern between good and evil until we've moved from the milk to the meat. We just want people to live a righteous life. It's ourself, it's the people we love, it's our church family. We want them to live a righteous life. How are they going to do it? The only way is to become skilled in the Word of God. As we close here, I'd like for you to look at a picture here of a soldier. And in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we see the armor that we can put on, as he says, to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, can we resist sin? Can we resist Satan? Notice we had to put on a belt of truth. Where's truth come from? John 17, 17, the word is truth. We had to put on a breastplate of righteousness. According to Romans 1, 17, the righteousness of God is revealed in the word of God. We have our feet shod with the gospel. Of course, the gospel is the word of God, and we shouldn't be ashamed to take it to everyone. Romans 1 and 16, we're to have the helmet of salvation. Where will we learn? of salvation in the word of God and the sword of the spirit the passage we just left in Hebrews 5 if you read earlier we see that the sword is sharp it's living it's powerful it's sharper than any two-edged sword and then of course he closes with prayer always but other than prayer there every one of the things that's listed there to be able to resist Satan by the armor goes back to the word of God as we close this morning if you have your Bibles open I'd like for you to look again at where we start in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. His plea to them, once they went into that land, was a land in seven that's going to have all the water they could want. Remember, in the wilderness, they struggled with having water. In eight, it was going to have all the food they want, wheat and barley and fig trees, vines and pomegranates, land of olive oil and honey, a land, notice, in which you will eat bread without scarcity. And then, notice, as he comes to 10, he says, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God, the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. Isn't that interesting? Taking them out of 40 years in the wilderness, giving them a land that has so much water, so much food, so many houses, so much possessions, and He says, I have a fear for you. When you get all these things, my fear is that you're going to forget to keep the commandments of God. How many of you have spiritual meals laying all over your house? I read the other day that the average American has four Bibles each. We have meals lying in our car. We have meals lying in our living room. We have a meal in the bedroom. We may have a meal at the workplace. It's lying around, but here's the question. What happens when we have so much food to eat that we start taking it for granted and we forget God. Let's enter into Bible class this morning. Let's enter in today into a life of study that says, I truly am thankful for God. I don't want to be listless. I want to desire God's Word. I want to resist Satan, and I realize the only way to do that is by knowing the Word of God. Satan quoted the Word of God to resist Jesus quoted the word of God to resist Satan and even quoted these very words in Deuteronomy the 8th chapter, the man shall not live by bread alone. 
this morning, if you're not a Christian, would you like to be baptized into Christ for mission sins? That's what God's Word asks of us. As a believer, willing to repent of sins, confess before men, be baptized for the remission of our sins, and to rise from that water to live for Him, submitting to Him. Maybe you've submitted to Him, and somewhere along the way, you've forgotten the words of God, and you want to come back to Him this morning. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.